0: Sorry. Thank you for that ripple of applause. Um, we're going to spend some time in the God's Word together. We're going to be in Mark's Gospel. So, if you have a Bible, would you like to turn to uh, Mark chapter twelve? And we're going to read just a few verses from verse thirty-five. So, in our in our recent series or our recent return to Mark's Gospel, this is where we've arrived. And, uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, don't worry because I think the, the scripture references will come up on the screen behind me so you can follow them, you can follow them there. So Mark chapter 12 and verse 35. While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, how is it that the teachers of the law say that the Christ is the son of David. David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. And for today, that's where we're going to leave it. So just three Verses as we kind of uh, come to the the end of Mark chapter twelve, and it signals really uh, the final moment in this tension that's developed. Particularly as Jesus has been teaching in uh, in the temple, he's been teaching, and different groups of religious leaders have been heckling, have been throwing in. Uh, what they would regard to be hard questions. They were trying to catch Jesus off guard. Sometimes they would do that with flattery, uh, sometimes with uh, more overt opposition. But the whole way through, we've we've seen this rec- recent section of, of Mark's Gospel. When they're asking questions, those questions aren't genuine. They're not um, representing a real desire to learn the truth more accurately through Jesus. They're trying to discredit Jesus in front of people so that people no longer put their hope and trust in him. And their questions designed, or some of the questions are designed, to get Jesus into trouble with the Roman authorities who would then have him executed if he's claiming um, something that they would not appreciate. So hard questions, but all the way through we've seen Jesus is never outmaneuvered, Jesus is never outfought, he's never threatened in any way. It might be slightly strange to use a, a boxing analogy at this point. Any fans of boxing? Um, Floyd, clearly not. No, no, you, right, John's there, yes, I see that hand. Um, I'm not really massively into boxing, uh, but I could be persuaded that there's quite a lot of skill Involved in what's happening in the ring with someone like Floyd Mayweather Jr. He's really, really difficult to hit. Um, So he's quite a defensive fighter, apparently. So he's kind of hanging back, seeing what other moves his opponent makes. And with his razor-sharp reflexes, he can just evade or block anything that comes his way. So someone might throw ten punches in his direction. He avoids them and then just lands one back. Um, in some respects, that reflects what these leaders have been doing. Throwing punches, trying to get him off guard, trying to put a mark on him, try to dent him in some way. But after all this time, there's no mark on Jesus whatsoever. He's never been um, caught out of position. He's never been wrong-footed. He's always so many steps in front. And now what we've seen in the in the preceding verse, it says, uh, from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. They've run out. They're done. They're spent. They've had enough. They've they've met their match. And uh, that happened, perhaps, as as Richard was spelling out last time with uh, one of the teachers of the law asking a question. Jesus says to him, actually, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Their strategy to have a go at Jesus has totally backfired. Somebody asking the question is actually seriously pondering, maybe, maybe I should be following this man. I think, oh right, everybody, back off, back off. They don't ask any more questions from that point onwards. Jesus, however, is not gonna let them go without him asking a question. So Jesus is now on the offensive. Jesus is confronting them. We might think, well, that's not very nice. And a boxing analogy, I'm not sure that's very nice. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, command certain men not to teach false doctrine. Oh, that's a bit strong. I wonder where Paul's coming from. Is he just a bit irritated? Is he agitated? Um, Is that a bit kind of aggressive of, of Paul to have said that? Command them not to teach things that are false. Whoa. Steady on, surely just take a more kind of gentle approach, Paul. Timothy, Jesus, be be kind of kind and and winsome and and persuasive and soft. Well, there is times for that. But Paul then goes on to say in that chapter, the goal of this command is love. So it's not unloving of Paul to say to to Timothy, command them not to teach false doctrine anymore. And it's not unloving of Jesus to say, I've got a question for you. Or, as it is presented here in in Mark, I've got a question about the, the, the teachers of the law. This is still Jesus loving people. He wants to defeat their arguments in order to win their hearts. That's what he's interested in doing. So Jesus asks this question. How is it that the teachers of the law say that the Christ is the son of David. Now, if we were to turn to uh, Matthew's gospel and Matthew chapter 22, where the same uh, incident is is recorded there, we'll just get a little bit of extra information about how it developed, how that scenario uh, unfolded. In Matthew uh, chapter 22 and verse 41, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. And then he goes on with the question. Um, he then said to them, How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? So it's the same conversation. It's the same situation. Jesus has is, is then engaged them, drawn them out, and he's about to catch them off guard. That was their response. Who is the Christ? Who is this Messiah that you're expecting to come one day? Jesus was saying to the teachers of the law. Ah, he's the son of David. It hits on the issue right the way through Mark's gospel that is the most prominent for us to consider is, well, who is the Christ? Now, Jesus knows that he's actually speaking of himself. Is there a more important question for any of us to consider and answer in this life? Who is he? Where has he come from? Whose son is he? How are we to relate? How are we to um, uh, to be with him? What should our expectations of the Messiah of the Christ, of the anointed one of the Savior be? Who is the Christ well we 'll look at two answers. One answer is as the teachers of the law said he 's the son of David. Their expectation was that one day a son of David, a descendant of a long-gone king, would take the throne in Israel, would rescue God's people from their enemies, that he would be, the Christ would be, this anointed one like the great kings of the old, anointed with oil. That's how David became king. He was anointed with a flask of oil. It kind of marked him out. God's God's chosen leader. The Christ will be God's great chosen leader, like previous good kings, but even better. And they would have been well familiar with the scripture. They would have had many passages that they could turn to, to, to show this future hope, this expectation. One day, they'll come a new king. Uh, we could look in 1 Chronicles chapter 17 uh, for one of those examples uh, in my Bible it, translators have entitled the section God's promise to David David wants to build a house for God God says actually your son's going to do that I'm going to build a house for you and God makes an incredible promise to David in, in 1 Chronicles 17 and verse uh, something 10 partway through verse 10 I declare to you that the Lord will build a house for you. When your days are over and you go to be with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me, and I'll establish his throne forever. Interesting. I'll be his father, and he will be my son. I will never take my love away from him as I took it away from your predecessors. I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever. His throne will be established forever. So the teachers of the law and the others could see them. Well, yes, to a large extent, at that particular point, that referred to Solomon. David had a son, Solomon, and he would be the one who would build a temple and God would establish him on the throne. All sounds... um, Straightforward, very natural, very logical, but there's this extra element they perceived there that's, no, there's, there's something else. We're to expect another one to come. I think if people had been looking forward to Solomon taking the throne, they would have thought, oh, wonderful. Here he is. And they would have seen the kingdom prosper, uh, with him as king. After a few years, they would have looked at Solomon and thought, actually, I don't think it can be him. He doesn't seem all that. There's, yeah, there's an element of, of great wisdom. But, actually, he's worshipping idols now. He's got hundreds of wives and concubines. But how, how does that match with our, our expectations? There must be someone else to come whose throne will be established forever. So what were they expecting of their of their Christ? One who would be full of wisdom and understanding. So when Jesus encounters the woman at the well in John chapter four, she says, I know the Messiah is coming, that he is called the Christ. He will explain everything to us. That was their expectation. The Messiah would come full of wisdom, full of understanding, explaining everything. Wise and understanding. This Christ figure they also expected would be a great uniting Leader, The nations would inquire of him. He'd be a light to the Gentiles. He won't just be a blessing to Israel, but others will come. He would be a godly leader, restoring Israel and temple worship. He'd be a very righteous, just ruler. So they might look at their current king and go, don't get on his bad side. I don't think he would know justice if it hit him around the face. But this one day, this Christ will come. That's why the crowd in Mark 11, as Jesus was riding into town, they call out in verse uh, 10, Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. They could see it in Jesus. Oh, one day, one day, the whole kingdom will get completely restored. The nation will get um, blessed and will be ruled over by a good shepherd, one who will care and provide for the flock. And in Mark chapter ten, verse forty seven, we see uh, a blind man, Bartimaeus, by the side of the road, he's aware that Jesus is passing by. What does he call out? Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. He understood who Jesus was. He's the Christ, He's the Messiah, He's the one. And I know then, if he's passing by, I can expect mercy. I can expect compassion. I can expect care. I can expect help. I can expect my life to improve, my life to be changed if Jesus comes to me. Because he's the son of David. So it's not wrong. Teachers of the law, he's the son of David. Yeah, that's true. He descended from David. He fulfilled those expectations if only they had the eyes to see it. But it's true But it's not complete. It's not the full picture. It's a jigsaw puzzle with several pieces missing. The whole picture is not yet clear. That's their kind of default answer to the question. Who's the Christ? He's the son of David. And let's just leave it there. They thought, in other words, that the Christ was just a man. Just one of us, but a bit more special. And Jesus is confronting and challenging that point of view. He's challenging those who are nearly there. He's challenging those who are nearly right. He's challenging those who've got a bit of the picture, but not the full picture. We've seen this in the conversation that just happened with the teacher of the law who asked the question about, what, what is the most important Commandment as that conversation draws to a close. Jesus says in, in chapter 12 and verse 34, that you're not far from the kingdom of God. You've understood the essence of the law. You've understood that the most important thing is to love the Lord and tied closely to that. The second most important thing is to, to love your neighbor, to love people. That's, yeah, you've got the heart of it, but you, you're, you're you're close. You haven't got it all. Why have they not, why had that person not got it all? Because they hadn't put their faith in Jesus as, as God's son. They just saw him as a man. And so if you're not far, that's the encouragement is keep going. Don't, don't stop where you are. You're not far. So keep, keep making progress. Don't stop there. I wonder if you've ever played the game which I call hotter or colder. Take something, let's say I had hidden, and I haven't, I'm sorry, but let's say around this auditorium I'd hidden um, a collection of chocolate bars, well-known and well-loved chocolate bars. They're out of sight, but they're not too tricky to find. And uh, you're up here later on, so... If you were far away from where I've hid, hidden the chocolates, I would say, ooh, you're really cold. You are freezing. And that's like code to say, move in the other direction. Head to the other side of the room. And as you then approach, you still don't, don't quite know precisely where it is. You think, oh, you're, you're getting warmer. That's the encouragement to keep going in that direction. Oh, no, no, you're cold again. All right. Sorry. No, that's it. Yeah, warm, warm, really warm. Hot, you're hot. You are boiling. But at that point, if you stop playing the game, you can't triumphantly walk away saying, I was boiling. I was really, really close. You stop looking. You stop seeing. If you'd stayed and if you'd kept looking, you would have found the chocolate. But you wandered off. Oh, I don't want to play this silly game. (laughs) Well, that is just a silly game. But for these religious leaders, they're so close. Jesus is confronting them to say, come on, receive this invitation. And there are many people today who would be warm. I believe Jesus was a real historical figure. You're warm. Keep going. There'll be many who would marvel at the baby in the manger. Come closer. See who he is. There'll be those who might go a little bit further and say, yes, of, of Jesus and uh, of that, I've, I've read and I've heard about him. I can see that he is uh, a good man, a moral guide... An inspiring teacher who set an incredible example. You can say, okay, Gandhi, you came so close, but keep moving. Oh no, I couldn't go any further. I'm stopping there. Oh, you're warm. You're hot. You're almost getting there, but keep, keep going. There'll be others who might see, yeah, I, I, I can't discount all those miracles and healings. Even all of these, these years later, he must have had a real impact, a supernatural impact in people's lives. So some might say Jesus is the uh, a great faith healer, a miracle worker. I love love to hear what he had to say. I I, I love to hear about the things that he did. Keep going. You're you're hot now, but don't stop there. And others would say, Yes, I believe that Jesus was a prophet. He was a messenger sent from God. Oh, you're getting close. But if you stop there and you go away, you don't know him. And you haven't received the eternal life that he has to give. Others might say, in uh, certain cults that would appear to be Christian or would appear to have a close connection um, with the Christian faith, they still stop short by saying, yes, Jesus, uh, the Christ. Was sent from God, and he is some kind of divine being. He's more than just a prophet; he's divine. So we're going to rank him alongside some of the the senior angels. And we we'll, you know we hear about Gabriel in other parts of the Scripture. We might hear about Michael. Yeah, okay, yeah, he kind of ranks with them. But if you only go that far, you still. Are too far from the kingdom you've not come into it and so Jesus is coming to them and this isn't like some boxing match where he's just trying to knock them out and humiliate them it's Jesus reaching out a hand Jesus inviting them don't stop where you are keep coming but they hold such influence with people that he has to tackle the wrong ideas and he's coming to challenge those who have really just earthly expectations of the Messiah. They they wanted an earthly king. Yeah, a bit like David, but even better. Yeah, then the nation will be restored. An earthly Messiah to win earthly battles over the Romans, over other surrounding nations perhaps, over earthly enemies. Their focus was, therefore, on this life. And we've seen that with the Sadducees. We've seen it with some of the others. Very religious on the outside. On the inside, basically about very focused on money, wealth, pleasure, position, success, respect in this life. That's why they got up in the morning. That's what they... That's how they spent their energy in their life. That's what it was all about for them. Let's eat and drink, for tomorrow we die, a Sadducee might say. And no, keep coming closer. If we if we just start to think of Jesus in these terms, if we just think of the Christ in these terms, if even those, those of us who believe in him start to imagine him as just a, an, an earthly figure, then actually our lives, our priorities will follow the same steps of these teachers of the law very religious on the outside doing the right thing everything that's expected having a form of godliness but denying its power Paul writes to Timothy about other teachers of the law we don't want to get into that territory it can be very much about my experience on this earth if Jesus really is who he says he is why am I have to, having to put up with any trouble at all In this life. Well maybe that just reveals that your concept of what the Messiah should be is too narrow, is too small, is too earthly. Do you want 80 years of a perfect life and then eternity without God? Or do you want 80 years of ups and downs and then eternity with Him? That's the good news. And He does change our lives. He does impact Our God is seated on a throne, answers prayer, intervenes in our lives. But his mission was not to rescue us in the here and now from experiencing anything mildly unpleasant, but to rescue us from sin and death and eternity without him by forgiving us and giving us eternal life. So he is the son of David, but he's much more. He is the son of God. And to demonstrate that, Jesus turns to a passage, Psalm 110. It is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. I think this one was particularly uh, special and important. Jesus quotes it here. It's one that the teachers of the law would have agreed. This was written by David, and this psalm was about the Messiah who will one day come. They agreed with that. But what that psalm reveals when David says, the Lord said to my Lord sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. That David himself sees the Christ as his superior, not just his son. The Lord, God Almighty, said to my Lord, said to my master, said to my superior. He's recognizing that the Christ was not just his son. So Jesus' point is, why would David say that? If the Messiah, if the Christ were just a natural descendant. To illustrate. If somebody wins a gold medal. No. If an incredible British athlete wins six gold medals at the next Olympics with six world records. After a life in athletics, they move into politics and they become prime minister and lead us into our most glorious uh, era as a nation. That man or woman's father or mum can still just go up to them, ruffle his hair, say, that's my boy. He's done good, hasn't he? Taught him everything I know. <laughs> Look, the, the son has far kind of exceeded the achievements of the father. But does the father, even in today's day and age, then bow the knee to his son? Still, that's ask my boy. He's done good, hasn't he? Reflects well. Happy father. Proud dad. Fathers don't bow down to their children, even if their achievements exceed their own. The father always carries the trump card. Yep, well, if it weren't for me, (laughs) you wouldn't be here. (laughs) Shucks, got me again. (laughs) So... So this is what David is saying. This is the revelation in that Psalm of who the Messiah would be. It's not just David's son, because David himself says to him, he, he's my, he's my master. He's the one, I'll, I'll bow the knee before this one. He's more than just my son. So Jesus always has been, is right now, and always will be the son of God. This is how Paul speaks of him at the very beginning of his gospel in Romans. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David. And who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. There's not enough time for us to really dig into just those few verses. But just to see, yes, Jesus is the son of David. And yes, Jesus is the son of God. It was perhaps difficult for them to see that before them in the flesh stood a man who was and very much looked like a carpenter from up north. Really? But they could have. The teachers of the law Familiar with the temple, they could have gone into the temple, found all the records which were kept in the temple of who descended from who, and they could find, yes, Jesus is in David's line. He was a descendant. They had all this evidence in front of them, as well as their knowledge of the scripture, but they couldn't see it or they wouldn't see it. How do we respond to who Jesus is? There are a couple of responses in and just around this passage which give us a sad indication of how it's possible to respond to Jesus. We've seen already, well how do the, how do the teachers of the law respond? In silence. From then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? Question. Answer, they don't give one. They're not engaged. They're, they're kind of walking away, tails between their legs. He's, he's caught us out. We can't beat him in argument. Let's just go and try and kill him instead. And we don't hear from them again until they are stood in front of Jesus in the middle of the night, bringing false accusations, along with the chief priests. I think that's the next point we really hear their voice, or hear them speaking to Jesus. That's their response to Jesus. Just to bring false accusations. They were so close, but they missed that invitation. What's another response? We see in this passage, in verse 37, the large crowd listened to him with delight. Well, that's not new. We've seen that so many times through Mark's gospel. People were delighted to hear him. He teaches as, as one who's got authority, not like the teachers of the law. We just love to hear him. You remember that time back in the synagogue up there? Yeah. He said to a man, stretch out your hand says, your sins are forgiven. Wow, delighted to hear him. But shouldn't it be something more? Maybe they were just delighted because he's put those pompous leaders in their place. And so they're just, they're enjoying the moment. Maybe in the same way, Herod enjoyed listening to John the Baptist. Herod later had his head chopped off. Oh, I was hoping to listen to him. I quite like hearing what he has to say sometimes, but oh, oh, gone. And what happens the next time? When does the crowd next speak in Mark's gospel? Now, admittedly, obviously, it's not exactly the same combination of people. Nevertheless, in Mark's gospel, when is the next time the crowd speak? This delight turns to something else. Chief priests stir them up. And they ask for Barabbas to be released. And then they say, well, what should I do with this man called Jesus? Crucify him, the crowd say. They're, they're delighted. We could say they're close. But they have missed it. We don't want to be caught up in that kind of response. Look, in the temple, with a massive crowd gathered round. Jesus, the son of David, the son of God, is teaching And he's revealing from the scripture that he is God's son. He is God's chosen one. He is God's anointed one sent to redeem, sent to rescue, full of wisdom, full of understanding. He's going to come and he's going to explain everything to us. He's going to come full of the spirit of truth. A bruised reed he won't snuff out. Bruce reed, really he won't snuff out. Bruce reed, really he won't break. Smouldering wick, he won't snuff out. When he comes, son of David, have mercy on me. We'll have a good shepherd. A good shepherd who can care for us and love us. A good shepherd who's going to provide for us. He will restore worship as it should be. Because he will become the appropriate sacrifice for our sins to be forgiven for all time. Oh, I love listening to Jesus. Shouldn't the response be, my Lord and my God? He's our Savior. He's the Lord. Perhaps there are some here and you've been through a season, you've been through a time of of asking questions, of kind of pondering, thinking through, reading about Jesus. Who was he? What's the significance? We're about to kind of have Christmas, aren't we? And we'll we'll consider the manger with the baby and the angels and the shepherds and the wise men. Come back at four o'clock. Um, oh, wonderful. And maybe for you is the time of just considering afresh. Or for, for the first time. Who is he? Maybe you've still got questions you need to ask. Maybe you've had loads of your questions answered. What's left? It's all kind of stacking up. I kind of understand what's being said. Actually, the, then the appropriate response we're told in Romans is, you know, confess with your, with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Are you prepared to nail your colors to the mast and speak out those words to people who believe it and other people who don't believe it and think you're nutter? I believe Jesus is Lord. And to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. You will have ups and downs in this life like all the rest of us, but you will have eternity with him in glory. It's not just a case of thinking, well, I understand the essence of the law. I want to be a good person. I've kind of understood you know, this religious vibe. Yeah, I I kind of can go with that. Yeah, love the Lord your God. Yeah, love other people. I'll try and be good. I'll try and keep that. I'll try and make it to different meetings or what have you. Don't miss the real heart. Don't miss the point. Who is he? Who do you think he is? Nail your colors to the mast. And then be led in a life of obedience and faith. I believe him. I'm trusting him. I'm following him. And I'm obeying him. I'm seeing what he says. I'm seeing how he wants to lead. Why? Because he's not just one of us. He's not just man. He's God. That means he has my whole life and I lay my whole life down before him. Amen. Let's pray together. We'll worship in just a moment. Father God, thank you that in your son there is this incredible, wonderful, glorious invitation to come close and then to take your hand and to be received into your kingdom, which lasts forever, where we will know true joy, true peace, and light replacing our darkness for forever, for all time. Lord, you have put your son, you have seated him. He is seated at your right hand, together, ruling and reigning and worthy of our worship. Father God, I pray, I pray right now, I pray over this next two, two weeks when particularly we're kind of getting into Christmas mode. Lord, I pray as we're kind of thinking about all the things that we need to do and have we done this and have we done that. Lord, I pray, just draw our eyes to who Jesus is this wonderful Saviour, this wonderful Messiah, this wonderful Christ, that we'll fix our eyes on Him, and by following Him, yet we'll negotiate the ups and downs, the twists and turns of life. But we'll have in us a joy and peace that can't be found anywhere else. Father, I pray for anyone here who's who's close but hasn't come in. Lord God, For, for the faith to take that step and to nail their colours to them, to the mast. Father, for those of us who have made that response, Lord, my prayer is that we wouldn't drift in our thinking to Jesus just being a very earthly Messiah, our attention just on earthly trials and earthly battles and perhaps even earthly enemies. Help us to see again and afresh who you are and what you have done to the principalities and the powers that stood opposed to us, what you've done with sin and death and what you've brought us into. Father, that there would be true lightness of heart. Lord, we don't just want to be a people who are kind of occasionally entertained by thinking about you and hearing of what you've done, but a people who are utterly, utterly changed, brought to knees in humble adoration and worship for the one who uh, stepped down from the highest place of heaven, took the lowest place on the earth, being nailed to the cross, being raised again, Son of God in power, victorious over sin and death, that we might be with you forever. Thank you, Lord God, for your wonderful good news. Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship together, shall we?